And there's a line in the book that like gave me goosebumps. He said, um, he said, if you wanted to destroy a, an entire generation, then put a gun in the pocket of every 12 year old boy. And if you want to destroy a generation, put a smartphone in the pocket of every 12 year old girl. Wow. wow. He said, the boys will just start shooting everybody and the girls will start making everyone feel like an outsider. Okay, so we're back talking to Brandon about shapes, about the formative influences in our life that make us who we are, and uh, this goes along with our sermon series we're doing at the church. And so uh, this time, I want us to talk about culture. Mm -hmm. What I mean by culture specifically is just the world that we live in, the air that we breathe, and how it makes us who we are. Um, A lot of it happens, uh, you know, I've heard John Mark Cromer talk about how you're becoming something right now without even trying, and um, one of the best ways I heard it explained was that, you know, um, our culture mm-hmm. that we live in now, like we weigh more physically weigh more than other people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one explanation is that we have been raised with more sugar in our food. Mm-hmm. So that would be just one example of how you are shaped. I guess literally. literally. <laughs> yeah. You're shaped and it really had nothing to do with you. It mm-hmm. had to do with w- how you were raised that people a hundred years ago, you know, didn't have honey buns. Maybe they did. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, the food we eat is different because of the food that's on our shelves, because of the businesses that make the food. Like, you can kind of follow the chain back, and that is a example of the way that, that culture shapes us. So it's a big topic. We could talk about our culture of busyness. We could talk about sexuality. We could talk about mm-hmm. um, economics, and we could talk about all of those things. But for the time that we have, I want to kind of specifically focus on technology Yeah, because we are the first – maybe the last two generations, but I would say we're the first generation that has lived with the internet in our pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been the internet for a few generations, but we're the first generation. I think I read 2011. So the iPhone came out 2007. 2011 was when more people had the iPhone than didn't have the iPhone. And then that's the generation, 2014, those high school graduates were the first generation that went to college with the internet in their pocket. Mm-hmm. So we are now going on, you know, almost 10 years, 15 years of, of having the internet in our pocket. And I'm just curious from your perspective as a human being, but also as a therapist who talks to a lot of people, how is that changing who we are as human beings, having the internet in our pocket? Man, how do you feel like it's changed you? Well, it's eliminated boredom. Well, it hasn't eliminated boredom, but it's disguised boredom. Yeah. Um, I think... I think it's created more nervous energy. Yeah. Um, the, I think the biggest impact for me has been comparison. Yeah. 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 So, but comparison on a really subconscious level, hmm. not, oh, I'm going to get out my phone right now and see how I stack up against other people, hmm. but a very subconscious, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person said that. I would never do that. Or, um, man, I really need to get my crap together because they're doing so much better than I am. But yeah. at a, baseline level that I don't even recognize as running the engine of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people that have that, um, that comparison thing happening at much more observable levels. Like they're aware of it. Uh, we even have like language and terminology around that now, right? Like we have, we talk about FOMO, Mm uh, and you know, someone has FOMO and, um, they, the reason that they know that they have it is they've seen something on some platform that their friends are engaged in and they're not. Or that their friends are going to be doing something that they're not. Where, you know, when when I was in high school, 
um, way back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, cell phones were just coming, you know, there were, there were a few of us that had them. Um, my parents made me carry one if I if I drove somewhere. I, I hate it. You remember that. your first phone? You remember I do. It was? it was a Nokia brick. It was that's what I had. Yeah, it was you know the it was thin, but it was like tall and long. It was like literally yeah. the surface area of like a. Did brick. it have Snake on it? The game Snake. You remember no, that game? No. So this was like before that. Even. Okay, so yeah, I had it was, was real old. Um, it literally you couldn't text on it. Like it just had a screen where you could see the the phone digits. I don't think it even saved numbers. But the whole point from that for my parents was. Uh, for us is we want to know that you got there safe. Um, and so my context for cell phones was way different uh, because of the the sort of culture that I grew up in based on time. Um, so I, I may have known that there was a party, but like I didn't see pictures and videos and I didn't see so-and-so with so-and-so doing whatever they were doing. Uh, and so my experience of that was not nearly the same. I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't get on Instagram and see what my friends were doing on vacation. And then thinking about like what I did on vacation. And so the comparison thing I think is a real big part of it. The problem with that is, uh, in terms of how it's shaping us, is everything that we put on social media is curated. Yeah. You made the decision to put that on there for good or for bad. It doesn't mean if you're trying to like, you know, be, you know, real and show someone like a, this, you know, ugly picture of your life. There's a reason that you're doing that. As a general rule, whenever somebody prefaces it with, I just want to be real. Yeah. I can assume whatever they're about to say is not real. Not it's, <laughs> it's like, not honest. It's so it's like only real in the sense that like they're they just became aware of themselves in a way that they weren't aware of themselves right. a few minutes ago. Right. And so like the way that culture shapes us uh in light of technology is super powerful. Uh, you know, my my oldest is twelve right now. And um to think about her entering into high school where the, I mean, these days it's not even just Instagram. I, I saw this really terrible video where, um, this guy that was really popular, uh, I take that back. wasn't a guy. Um, this, this woman in Japan that was really popular on social media, um, that like the, the filters on her videos failed one time. And it turns out it was, it was literally a middle-aged guy. Wow. And she looked like a model. And then there's this like 55 year old, like, dude in his car and you're like that's not even remotely close and so if we have technology and filters that can make you know this mediocre middle-aged man look like a very attractive female model just by sort of you know the ai and really really fast processing in these devices in our pockets our kids see that and they think that's what that person looks like that's what they're doing and none of that's true and so these comparisons just begin to to sort of erode our sense of like what's good and what's what's even normal. I have a 13-year-old daughter. That's not my oldest. You have 12. And I this past uh this past summer I read Jonathan Hatt's book The Coddling of the American Mind. Hmm. Really interesting book, but uh the, the premise is that in 2015, I, I mentioned it earlier, but that college freshmen, like something changed on college campuses and now looking back, they they talk about a lot of the changes, but looking back it was these were kids who had gone through high school with smartphones. Oh, wow. And so one of the things he talks about in the book that was really interesting for me as a dad of a teenage daughter is that um, he said, like, stereotypically we think of boys as more aggressive than girls, but that's not true. They just show their aggression in different ways. So boys mm-hmm. show aggression physically. Girls show aggression more in a um, – uh, 
emotional, relational way. Mm-hmm. So a boy, you know, stereotypically generalization here, but like a boy, if they're mad at you, will punch in the face. A girl, if they're mad at you, will figure out a way to like keep you out of a social circle. Yeah. That's an oversimplification, but that's what they say. Mm-hmm. And so they talk about the impact of the smartphone and social media. And there's a line in the book that like gave me goosebumps. He said, um, he said, if you wanted to destroy a, an entire generation, then put a gun in the pocket of every 12 year old boy. And if you want to destroy a generation, put a smartphone in the pocket of every 12-year-old girl. Wow. wow. He said, the boys will just start shooting everybody, and the girls will start making everyone feel like an outsider. Yeah. And you'll destroy a generation. And I, that gave me goosebumps, but I, I see how it's playing out in my life as a 38-year-old. Sure. But I'm still straddling the fence, because I, I do remember life before the internet. I got a laptop for my graduation present. And I remember Same. having to dial up. Yeah. I'm sounding yeah. so old, but I remember yeah, right. a gateway had to dial up yeah. to get on the internet. And I remember asking my dad, I'm on, what do I do? Like I just logged on. Yeah. What do I do? Um, and now having a daughter who it's not even just social media anymore, like just group texting, yep. having the phone away, being away from the phone and feeling like people are texting and I'm not a part of it. But I know I feel that when I go through times in the morning where I'm going to put my phone in my nightstand and so I can read my Bible or study or just be away from my phone. And it takes a measurable amount of time to, to like detox from feeling like, do I need to go grab my phone? Is somebody trying to get a hold of me? Like fear of missing out. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's not just social media, it's technology in general. I was thinking about, you know, media streaming and always having earphones on and listening to music and um, things like that, uh, it really has, like, we really are a generation or a culture of people who are constantly coping. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess other generations coped. I mean, mm-hmm. be, we're all, every human being has always had coping mechanisms. Sure. But how is our coping mechanisms, like, the way that we're coping or the, or too much so, like, how is our coping different from previous generations? Yeah. It's, think about it in terms of, like an illustration would be food uh, and the way that, that food has evolved, the way that we get food these days. Um, you know, the, the easiest way to get a meal right now for calories is to find your favorite local fast food chain, drive through, and, you know, within just a few minutes, you can, you can eat and, and be full. You'll get lots of calories from, you know, the burger and the fries and certainly the, you know, the sugary cola, whatever. Um, Media is the same way these days for us, and the way that it affects us is going to be similar as well. So, you know, if we go back before uh, these devices were readily available, the way that relationships were able to use their power for good or for bad was typically like in face-to-face fashion yeah. or over the phone. You know, you know, if we're calling our friends, um, it, we don't really. Our generation didn't do the letter writing thing, I guess. Uh, maybe that applies to emails, so, you know, as we got online initially. But the big thing was is that relationships and development in terms of like how feedback worked, uh, how dopamine, you know, there, most of us know about dopamine these days because of social media and how, you know, likes work. Um, and so relational positive hits uh, back before social media and the internet generation um, were actual engagements between individuals. And so seeing a person and in, and in, in, in sharing physical space with them um, took more time. And also, you could only do that with a certain number of people at a time. Now, because of these things in our pockets, these phones, like we have a camera on the front and 
three cameras on the back. And so we can like take a video and we're sharing that, you know, not just with the one person or the five people that we would have gone to a party with, but we're sharing them with like everyone on Instagram if our, you know, our profile is public. And then so like thousands or millions possibly even people are engaging with that particular video. And so as we are sending ourselves out there in that way and then we're receiving so many other people in that way, it's the same thing with calories. They're cheaper calories. They're cheaper sort of relationship quality points in terms of like how that affects us. Um, and so like you can get really big, massive negative hits uh, relationally because of the the way that these platforms work. I think another way it's played out, and you and I have talked about this when we've been together, is I feel like it has escalated discontentment at a massive scale. Sure. I remember asking you one day, because I was talking about myself and how as a pastor or a dad, just feeling like I'm not enough or living up or wanting to do better. And I remember asking you one day, do you feel like a farmer back in the 1800s <laughs> felt this way? Like, was he mad that he only had one farm and not two? Was he mad that he hadn't written a book about farming? Was he mad that, you know, he hadn't figured out a way to figured out a way to build a platform on farming? Like, and you said to me, like, I don't think so. I think like you just woke up and you went and worked the farm and you came in and spent time with your family. And it's not that we're not trying to glamorize the past in the sense that life was hard in the. I, I'm glad yeah. that we have, you know, Nespresso machines and Wi-Fi. Yeah. But there does seem to be a battle to be content now that hasn't existed to this degree before now. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. But like, think about the farmer. Um, I mean, if if he's farming way back when, uh, I think that comparison's nothing new. You know, we see that in lots of different places in the Bible where we're cautioned against it. Cain and, and Abel's right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, bingo. It took like five minutes outside of the garden for right. that to happen. So that's not that's not the problem, but who's the the farmer comparing his life to back then? Like you know, Joe has a farm down there, and right. you know this guy has a farm just on the other side of the tree line, uh, and like he goes to town and sees some people, but his life is is you know he just sees those folks. They live in small communities. Um, our de- internet devices now. Um, I'm not comparing myself just to to Joe over there and, and his farm, but like how many followers does Kim Kardashian have? Right. And how many people have access to seeing like the life that she puts up on, you know, the internet or whoever the person is, it doesn't matter. But like, so there's, there's an unlimited number of people that we can now gauge the sort of success to whatever measure or metric you want to use, um, our life versus someone else's. Uh, oh, they look like they're having a lot more fun. I saw this crazy thing where there's like a, there's like a, a cottage industry business for um, social media influencers where you can go to this like air hanger and take pictures inside of a prop jet to make it look like you're like, uh, you know, flying all over the place yeah. so that y- you have the appearance of um, I'm jet setting, I'm flying all over the world. But really and truly, they just paid, you know, like a hundred bucks and they went to this hangar at an airport and they had it set up to look like they were going places. But really and truly, it's, it's not real at all. Yeah. Is there a way to manage, you know, I, I know I took six months off of social media this past year and loved every second of it. Yeah. But like, is there a way to coexist with technology and social media or is it like, is there a way to have contentment within the confines of sharing pictures and following people 
I mean, how do you do that? Is it all or nothing? I mean, I know the answer is no, it's not all or nothing, but how do you coexist with this in a way that it not rob your joy, not rob your contentment? It's a great question. I think uh, I've never met a person that took a break or a fast or a sabbatical from um, social media or internet stuff, period, and came back from it was like, that was really terrible. I absolutely hated right. that. Everyone is like, I feel so much more at ease and my anxiety is lower and I'm not as uh, discontent as I feel like I was before. So there's, I don't think that there's a case that we're going to make where we're like, uh, you know, maximal use is the best use. Um, but at the same time, because information these days is transferred so much through these mediums, if you were going to say, I'm just not going to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, Amish thing over here, uh -huh. then that's, you've just redefined your community, right? Like you're no longer a part of the community that you were a part of. If you've decided to live like an Amish person, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But you are limiting, you know, the type of connection, the people that you're connecting to, if you've decided wholesale that you're jumping off of uh, technology. So there has to be a way to manage it. I think part of it is to take breaks. Uh, and in those breaks to consider like, okay, this last season that I was sort of engaging with a lot of stuff on my phone or my iPad or whatever, like what was good? What was not good? Um, what seemed to really sort of help me feel like I was growing as a person? Like there's all sort of like the, one of my favorite uh, podcasts, the, the Bible Project. Yeah. Those guys just came out with an app, uh, which is funny because John Collins has like been against apps. And now, uh, you know, someone convinced him that like it makes sense for them to do one. And I believe them. Um, but like that's that's a really good thing. The way that I've learned a lot about the Bible in the last few years has been by and large through things that I've gotten from their podcast. Um, I don't want to lose that. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but is Twitter a good thing for me? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not as good. So I think just evaluating and being mindful and present and taking some breaks uh, and not trying to live in maximal or minimal categories for usage cases, I think is the way that we do it. Uh, but it just, the issue is, is that it takes intentionality yeah. to sort of live well with these things. Yeah. You know, I've noticed for me, um, this, and this is not new, people know this, but one of the things that drags me down like a rabbit hole online is the algorithm that these places uh, use. Yeah. And so there, because I am such a nerd for information, yeah, there will be times where I'll click on things that I don't like or agree with, but I'm curious about. And then once you click on something, the algorithm says, oh, he wants to see more things like this. And then the next thing you know, like what is suggested to you is either things Sometimes people only look at those things, and so they're only getting one-sided information. But in my instance, it's like the thing that makes me angry that I clicked on, and it made me angry. Now YouTube or Instagram thinks he wants to see that. Yeah. And now I'm getting more of that, and it's playing on my emotions. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I used the term coping just a second ago, but I think that's one of the dangers is that um, – these these mediums get emotions out most of the time very unhealthy emotions out of us yeah. and we almost kind of program ourselves to need them because we've so used to it when you talk about the dopamine mm -hmm. and then you try to give it up and it i mean doctors scientifically you know will tell you it's like trying to give up cigarettes it's like trying to give up crack cocaine it's like yep. you have trained your body to crave something 
And so when some therapist or some pastor is like, hey, give it up for 30 days. And you're like, yeah, that'll be no problem. And you turn it off and you don't, like you're shaking at lunch the next day or you're unhappy. or It's like needing a nicotine patch, you know, scientifically, because it's like I'm not getting what I have told my body that I need to kind of process things. Mm-hmm. And so if we know this is true, mm-hmm. let's talk to the parents for a second. Sure. We know this is true. Yep. We know it's dangerous. We know it's also not going anywhere. Yep. It's probably, it's only speeding up. And I mean, I, how long until we're all living in Ready Player One? Who knows? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I, I parent a 13-year-old. You parent a 12-year-old. We have kids younger than that. Like, yep. what advice do you have for parents, you know, that, that like, I guess you could just say never, ever, but like, w- what is what is the way and what are you learning? And I know there's no, you, you can't give... Uh, you know, a hundred percent solution, but like, what are the things you're thinking about for your kids? And what would you say to parents who are living in that space? Yeah. So the, um, when I think about that question, one of the things that comes to mind real quickly is, um, for a season, uh, I worked for Apple while we were planning a church in Cleveland. That was one of the ways I provided for my family while I was, um, you know, the groups and community pastor for this church, uh, as we'd moved up there. And, um, some of the training that I got while I was there was really interesting. I got to go to uh, the corporate office in Cupertino and do some training out there and interact with some people. And, I, you know, I'm curious and ask questions. And so one of the things that came out of that whole experience uh, was, first of all, everybody that worked at Apple Corporate seemed like they they lived at work and they were all wealthy. Like they all had tons of money. It was insane how many Audi R8s were at campus <laughs> when I was there. Like everybody drove one. Um, but the thing that was like, terrifying to me was when I got into conversations and found out about how parents that were really close to Apple that worked for corporate or, um, you know, were in some way related to Silicon Valley, what they were doing with their kids for education. Every person I talked to would have their kids in a school where there was no technology. Wow. So if the barons of technology and internet are sending all of their kids to schools where they don't interact with devices. What does that mean? Uh. It, it means that the people that know what's actually this stuff is doing to us are being very cautious about how much they're letting their kids engage with it. It's like a chef that won't eat the food he makes. Yeah. It's dangerous. Like danger sign. Like, like what's yeah. like that? I'm worried about that. And so I, you know, we're like, personally, we're pretty cautious. Our kids, have ability to use devices. Um, screen time is always a fight. Yeah. I mean, you know, even it, it, that's just kids want to be on screens. Their kids, their friends are on screens. Uh, the things that they're doing on those screens are the things that like we're really, we monitor like hawks. And I will say, I think sometimes it's easy to like forget the past. Like I spent a ton of time staring at screens. Sure. It was a TV screen or a video game screen. Yeah. And my parents were concerned about that too. Yep. Absolutely. It's not a new problem. It's just the accessibility seems to be the problem. The accessibility and also the social element of it too. Yeah. The way that we're able to engage with people because it's a good, it's like the food thing that I mentioned earlier. It's so easy to uh, to get in a chat room with people that you don't know or to uh, to engage with people on, uh, across the internet doing things that like you just have no business doing as a as a kid. One of my the first people I ever worked with as a therapist, um, they uh, their parents were busy, worked a lot. And uh, they were given all of the things that they wanted in terms of technology and were able to use them behind closed doors. 
And it took less than three months for this person to start using video cameras and being engaged in some really terrible things on the internet with people that were twice their age. Yeah. And their parents had no idea. Yeah. And this is like, this is like 15 years ago. This isn't like five minutes ago. And so there's, there's all sorts of, of opportunity for that kind of stuff to happen. We just need to know where our kids are, what they're doing, what they're engaged with. Um, and then like, there's certain things that because of their brain development, it's just not good for them. Yeah. They don't need exposure to everything that the internet could possibly expose them to. I know that for most all of us, that just sort of naturally makes sense. Um, but they, they probably don't need Instagram accounts, you know, when they're, they're seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. Uh, that, that does something to a kid in terms of how they're developing. It's just, we talked about in norms, like that sets a norm Yeah. that they're going to compare themselves in that way. You know, I've noticed with my kids and other kids, I know one of the ways it's shaping them is to live for an, always for an audience. Yeah. Like my kids, when they were younger, they would take my phone, just the video mm-hmm. thing, and they would say, what's up, guys? Make sure to hit, leave a comment below, hit the subscribe button. Oh my like they were recording for YouTube, and it's just my phone. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't have a YouTube channel. But in their minds, like that's what a video is. Yeah. Leave a comment, hit the subscribe button. And so it's like, if you go on vacation, you're not just going on vacation. You have to also let your audience know what you're doing. And I think that's one of the biggest things I'm trying to watch for my kids. And I'm trying to model, which is challenging for me is like, you can just enjoy this moment. You don't have to broadcast this moment. Right. And that's, a yeah. that's, you know, that's been a game changer too. So, I mean, that's encouraging for parents, hopefully that we're kind of figuring this out together um, and, and trying to, to navigate it. Yep. Yep.